Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. So we are in the end of our series on Galatians. We have two weeks left this week and next week. And Paul has just talked about the fruit of the Spirit. He's told us what it means to live a life by the Spirit. And now he gets into some of the nitty-gritty of what does it mean as Christians to be living together and loving each other and being good friends and good brothers and sisters to each other. And so he addresses them to tell them that this is the way that you should live. And we're going to see in this passage that he tells us, or he tells the Galatians, that the way to live with each other is to look after each other, to look out for yourselves, and to do this to love like Christ. To look after each other, to look out for yourselves so that you may love like Christ. And uh, the first place that we see this, the first place that we see uh, him encouraging the Galatians to look after each other is in this first verse here, where it says, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. What he's saying here is that if you're caught up in a sin, if you see someone who is trapped by sin, then you need to help them out. And now this isn't saying that if you see someone who does a sin, one of those one-off sins or those sins that just catches someone by surprise, that you need to step in straight away and let them know that what they've done is wrong. Like if you see someone stub their toe and they, they let out a swear word, that you don't pull them up and say you're a terrible person, you're evil, you're wicked, and then drag them before the church so that everyone can know what a terrible person they are. It's not what it's saying. What it is saying is that sometimes people can get caught in a sin. They can get trapped and they not know how to get out. And you might know this for yourself, that this has happened to you. That sometimes there can be a sin that uh, that we do which we don't know is a sin. So we need someone to point it out to us that this is wrong. Or sometimes there is a sin that we're doing and we know that it's wrong, but we don't know how to get out and so we need someone to help us to get out of that sin Or sometimes we're doing a sin which we know is wrong, but we don't actually want to get out of it. So we need someone to come and give us a kick so that we can, they remind us, no, actually, Jesus loves you and he didn't die for you so you can sin and they can help you then get out of the sin. We restore people from their sin uh, to help them to escape. And this word for uh, people to to restore someone uh, is the word in Greek for a dislocated bone that you are, it's like restoring a bone that has been out of joint. And I don't know if you guys were watching the Olympics uh, recently when uh, the Australian javelin thrower, Kim Mickle, uh, she threw a javelin about 57 meters, but as she did it, she dislocated her arm and it came out of the joint. And she, uh, she walked around the field looking for someone to help her. It was over a minute before she found anyone to come and to give her medical attention. Finally, she found some medical personnel and they helped her off the field and then she was taken to hospital 
where her bone could, arm bone could be put back in its joint. And this is what it's saying that we need to do, that we need to help restore this dislocation in someone's life. That people, our brothers and sisters, our friends who love Jesus, they shouldn't be walking around looking for someone to help them, that we should find them quickly and restore them. But the way we do it is that we need to be gentle in the way that we do it. Because if we're not gentle, we can cause more problems. We can add to the the problems that the sin itself is causing. I did a first aid course about two weeks ago, and uh, the first aid instructor, as all good first aid instructors do, had a lot of stories to tell about when first aid had been done or not been done, and they were mostly gory, and that was pretty interesting. Uh, And he told one story about a guy who was playing football, and the guy had uh, dislocated his arm during football, and his mate came up to him and was like, oh, I know how to put that back. And so got him and put put the arm back in the shoulder, and the guy was like, oh, yeah, it feels good, and then kept on playing football. And then the next morning he woke up and he had black spots on his arm. And so he went to the doctor and the doctor said, your arm's dead, man. We're going to have to amputate. Because if you don't do things properly, it can cause more damage upon the damage that is already there. And so we need to be gentle in the way that we restore people when they are caught in sin. Uh, I was working with a young woman who was in my youth ministry once, and she uh, was dealing with um, a particular sin, a particularly public sin, which some people knew about and a whole bunch of people didn't know about. And I was talking to her about it, and she was working through it, and we were making good progress until someone else in the church, someone who wasn't so gentle, heard about this and, uh, and went to one of the other pastors and said, do you know what this person is doing? You need to tell someone to talk to her. And so then the other pastor came to me and told me to talk to her. So then I had to sit down with her and say, other people have been talking about you. That this sin that, you know, we've been dealing with, other people have an issue with it. And so, you know, it's escalated now. And for her, she was really hurt. She was really hurt because instead of someone dealing with her gently, someone had seen her as a problem that had to be dealt with. Someone had said, you should sort her out. They didn't want to talk to her themselves. They were not gentle, and it just caused more hurt uh, upon the issues that she was already facing. We need to be gentle with those people who are caught in sin. We need to remember that, that we would like to be dealt with gently ourselves. The way we deal with others, we need to think through, how would I want someone to treat me? We should remember that we ourselves, when we were caught in sin by our Lord and Savior Jesus, that he did not you know, shame us in front of everyone, that he does not publicly disgrace us, he does, he does not berate us for, for years to come, but he speaks to us firmly through his spirit and then he woos us with his love and tells us how he gave his life for us so that we might be restored. He is gentle with us. And if God has been gentle with us in our sin, we need to be gentle with others in theirs, to treat them the way God has treated us and to treat them how we would want to be treated ourselves. Not with public shaming, but with love and with prayer and with care. And now sometimes there are some sins that need to be dealt with differently to others because of who it affects and, and how urgently things need to be addressed. But in all these things, we have to remember the grace of God that has been given to us in Jesus Christ. 
The next thing that uh, we are told in the way that we can look after each other is uh, in verse 2, where it says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, when it talks here about carrying burdens, this is saying this is something different from the burden of sin which these people are carrying. Sometimes there are burdens that we have which are not sinful, they're just difficult to carry. It's difficult for us to do life on our own. One of the things that I dislike the most in my life is moving houses. I hate moving houses. I, I hate packing up all the stuff. I, I, whenever something new arrives in my house, I look at it and I don't go, wow, I've got something new. I've got, wow, I've got something I've got to move next time I move. And so I just hate putting all the stuff in boxes and finding things and then looking around the house and everything's a mess and there's stuff that needs to be cleaned and dusted and, 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 and it just seems like a task that goes on and on and on. But then the worst thing comes and that's moving day. Moving day when everything is packed, hopefully, and uh, it's going to get put in a truck and then driven somewhere else. And every time we have moving day, I think to myself, oh, we should be able to get everything in the truck by 12, everything in the new place by 4, and we'll be fine. But then at 10 p.m., we're still unloading boxes into the new house because nothing goes as planned. I hate moving day. It's the worst. But I have friends who are willing to help me on moving day. I, when I moved into my last place before the one here, I had a group of friends who came with me to put everything into the truck, drove to the new place, and then unloaded everything, and then I paid them in Doritos and Coke and Maccas, and they were willing to do it. And then when I moved out, those same friends came back and put everything back in another truck and drove it to a storage place to get put in there, and I paid them once again in Maccas, Coke, and Doritos. And they were there to help me to carry my burdens. And it is a very physical and literal burden, the burden of a moving box, but I think this is part of what Paul is talking about, that we need to help each other with, their burden, with our burdens, help each other to carry what they cannot carry themselves. It may be that someone needs help with moving, or it may be that they need something else, like a meal, or maybe just that they need someone to sit with them and hear them talk about their problems, that you carry their emotional burdens with them. I uh, have been obviously working through some big things lately and I have a friend uh, who I've been talking to and he's been ringing me once or twice a week for, for the past month to, to talk to me and say, Tom, how are you going? How can I help you? How can I support you? How can I pray for you? How can I encourage you to do things well? He's a friend who has been helping me to carry a burden. So maybe the good thing for us to do is to think, who are the people in our lives who are carrying burdens that may be too hard for them to carry on their own? And how can I help them? Maybe I just need to pray with them. Maybe I need to stick with them and walk with them through their illness. Maybe I need to, to get a few friends together and clean up their yard. There are all sorts of ways that we can do it. But we look for the burdens and we carry them because we know that we have a God who has carried our burdens too. The last uh, way that the passage tells us that we can be looking after each other is that we, we see in verse 6, he says, Paul says, Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Now, as someone whose job it is to instruct people in the word, this is a very important verse to me. I like this very much. 
I think what this verse means is that if I see you at a restaurant and you're eating food, then I can just take some stuff off your plate. Or I, should, I can come over to your house and I can raid your pantry or I can go through your Blu-ray collection and take out my favorite Blu-rays because you need to share all good things with your instructor in the Word. Now, that's not exactly what it means, but it would be nice if there was a preacher's tax. Uh, but what it is saying is that when people uh, have the job of sharing with you, instructing you in the Word, then they should be compensated for that. Because probably if their job is to preach and to teach, they've given up the opportunity to earn money somewhere else so that they can share with you. That people should be compensated for their time. And uh, as someone who actually earns their living instructing people in the Word, I'm very thankful for this. And uh, it, it kind of, it, like, it makes sense. Like, sometimes there is this idea in churches that, well, if you're working for the Lord, you should be willing to do it for free. Or if you're working for the Lord, you should be willing to do it for less money because it's for God. But if you're willing to pay your mechanic to fix your car, or you're willing to pay a lawyer to give you legal advice, or you're willing to pay a school to teach your kids, then you should be willing to pay someone who is sharing the word with you for the very best thing that they can give you, which is the word of God. And I'm really thankful that this is a church that chooses to to employ people to instruct in the Word, that we have lots of people on staff who are pastors. I'm thankful that you guys have been willing to give to the kingdom of God so that I can be here and share with you this past year and a half. I'm thankful that that we are a church that takes this verse seriously. That is a good thing. Sometimes you will get instruction in the Word from people who aren't paid to do it, and you can think, well, what are the things I can share with them also? Maybe it's your time, or maybe it's food, or or maybe it's Christmas presents, or maybe it's babysitting. Who knows what it is in ways that you can support them. Um, But you can think, how can I share all good things with this person who is giving me such good things? So I thank you that you are a church who looks after people who instruct in the Word, because this is what is instructed. And if I can challenge you in everything, uh, we saw the video uh, a few weeks ago about the budget, and uh, we saw that we needed more pie, and a lot of the pie of this church, a lot of the budget of this church goes to paying the pastors of this church. And, uh, and we committed as a church to give about 11, 11% more than we were giving, um, which means that if we're going to actually reach budget and we're going to be able to give good things to those who are instructing the Word or be able to enable that to happen in other places as well, then we need to be willing to give. So keep up what you're doing and keep giving to the kingdom of God because you share good things with those who share God's word with you. But this is not just about looking after others. It also means that we need to look out for ourselves. And we'll have a look at that after I have a quick drink. So we are looking after each other, but we're also watching out for ourselves or looking out for ourselves. And when I say you look out for yourself, it's not doesn't or watch out for yourself. I'm not saying that you put yourself first and you make sure that you're going fine before you help other people. But what I mean is this, that you need to watch the way that you live and watch the way that you think about yourself because the way that you look at yourself and understand yourself will change how you can love others for the sake of Christ. So if we see the uh, first thing that Paul, where Paul talks about this, it's in verse 1 again. After he says, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. He says, but watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. He's saying, don't 
overestimate yourself. Don't overestimate your ability to resist sin. When I was a teenager, I remember walking along one day. Uh, I was walking along the side of the road, and I was walking with two friends who were both girls, and they were both very attractive. And so I thought, if I'm walking along with two attractive girls, then I really need to impress them. What can I do to impress them? And I saw there was a park bench coming up along the footpath, and I was like, what I will do is I will jump up on that bench, and I'll walk along the top of the bench, and then I'll jump off, and I will show them what an agile young man I am, and what a fun-spirited person I am, and, and how I'm not square. I'm willing to walk where people are meant to sit. I thought it would be a great public relations stunt to jump up on this bench. So I saw the bench, I walked along, I got ready, I jumped up on the bench, but I put my foot a little bit wrong and I slipped right off the bench again and fell onto the pavement. And I didn't look like a fun-loving guy, I just looked like an incompetent child. And it didn't work for me at all. I entirely overestimated my bench-walking ability. And it didn't look good at all. And what Paul is saying here is don't overestimate your ability to resist sin or you may fall. It's not going to work out well for you at all. And I always thought that this was a strange verse when I read it. It said, watch yourself or you may also be tempted. And I thought, if you're helping someone with their sin, how does that mean that you're going to get caught up in the same sin? Like I had this image of someone, well, maybe not an image, but someone you know, had been you know, doing the sin or they'd been regularly going to visit strip clubs. And so a brother came along to them and said, oh, this is a terrible sin but I need to come with you to figure out exactly how terrible this sin is. I was like, well, that's obvious. You wouldn't do that. Hopefully you wouldn't do that. Let me tell you, that's not the way to do it. But I was like, how do you get caught up in the sin? But you need to realize, and I need to realize, that there are so many traps for us when we're helping others deal with their sin. That as you deal with someone with their sin, that you can respond with pride. To think to yourself, well, I'm glad I'm not like them. Or you may overreact against their sin, that if they're doing you know, the wrong thing, that you go too far and you you've, go to legalism. Or if they're being legalistic, you go too far and say, well, anything goes. Because if you don't know yourself properly, if you don't watch yourself properly, you can get caught in sin yourself. And so the, the way to solve this is to view yourself by the gospel, to know that the gospel teaches that you are someone who is sinful, someone who is more sinful than you could even understand yourself, someone whose inclination before Jesus is to sin and that it has affected and infected every part of who you are. And that the only way that you are okay is because God has found you in his son Jesus, drawn you up out of your sin and restored you you and made you right. That you did not drag yourself up out of the pit, it was God who did it for you. And so if you are going to help someone with their sin, you go in knowing that you are just as capable of sin as they are. That there is no sin given the right circumstances that you could not fall into except for the grace of God. You know the gospel, and so then you can be well-versed in the gospel when you help them to understand the gospel and help them to know that God is going to help them out of the pit too. But also, uh, we are told that as we watch ourselves, it's not just in response to sin. Uh, In verse 3, Paul says this, If anyone thinks that they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions 
then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Paul is saying, be careful in the way that you compare yourself. Be careful in the way that you view yourself in relation to other people. Watch yourself as you do that. Now, we have hopefully been getting a good lot of Olympics in our lives, and one of the great things about watching the Olympics is as you watch it, you compare yourself to the athletes, and you watch them, you say, I could not do that. There is no way that I could do that. And if you say, oh, I could probably do that, hopefully you are an elite athlete, otherwise you are delusional. Like I watch Usain Bolt run, I'm like, that is just insane, that's amazing. I, I, I watch the swimmers swim and I'm like, I don't know how you can get to the end of a 50 meter pool without drowning rather than do a 10 kilometer ocean race. Like it is insane the abilities that you have. You can, I compare myself to them and I see how much greater they are than me. The other thing that's been going on in my house at the moment is not just watching the Olympics, but watching The Bachelor, which I'm sure is probably most of your, you, it's your favorite show. But if you don't know, the way The Bachelor works is there is uh, one good-looking man with excellent abs, and there are 20 women whose job it is to try and compete for his affection. It's a really terrible show, and I've been watching it a lot. And what happens when I watch the show is I compare myself to The Bachelor and I think, I am such a good person. I do not kiss four women in a week. That's not me. I don't make women compete for my affection. When I was trying to woo my wife, there was only you know, one, two or three women who I was trying to work things out with to figure out if I was going to marry her. I compare myself to The Bachelor and, I, and you know, on television it kind of works, but... On real life, it's a terrible, terrible thing to do. In church, it's a terrible thing to do. Because while that's entertainment, this, I know, I know it's called reality TV, but it's entirely produced. This here, this is real life. And when we compare ourselves to each other, we are going to get ourselves into trouble. Because we might look at someone whose life looks like a mess, and we'll say, I am doing so much better than them. I'm pretty good because I have not got into the same messes that they have. Or you look at someone who is, whose life seems to be going really well and you're like, man, they are so good. I, I have no way that I could reach their level of spirituality. I'm worthless. How can I get anything done? If we compare ourselves to others, it's going to be a trap. And we don't actually know what's going on for those people who we compare ourselves with. When we look at the person whose life is a mess, we only see them as they are. We don't know what things they have overcome. We don't know what addictions they've beaten or what sins that they've overcome with the help of God. We don't know where they've come from. We only see them as they are in the time that we've known them. So we are unable to compare ourselves to them properly. We may feel pride in the way we compare ourselves to them, but, but it's entirely misplaced. Or we may look at someone whose life is really good, but we don't know what's going on for them either. We don't know what they're struggling with. We don't know what their worries are. We don't know um, what's going on for them. We don't, they might look good on the outside and be a complete mess on the inside, and we despair in, in comparison to them, but we shouldn't. So Paul says, compare yourself to yourself. Just look at yourself. Look at where you are going, and then you can take pride in yourself alone. 
And some people are like, what? You can't take pride. Pride is a sin. And what this is saying, not that you go, wow, look, I'm so great. But you can just be pleased that things have gone well for you. And I know that this has worked in my life. That as I look back on who I was 10 years ago, I know that there are great things that God has done in me. There are sins that I, I don't struggle with anymore, that there are anxieties that I'm not worried about, that there's the fruit of the Spirit that God has been growing in me, that I am a different person now than I was then because of what God has done in me, and I can be pleased that God is doing this. But I also compare myself to myself now, and I look at myself and I go, there are some big things that God needs to do in me still that I've got work to do with God, that there's sin that I still need to do with, there's things that are concerning me that I should be handing over to God, there's, you know, there's different things I should be working on which I'm refusing to work on that I've got work to do. That I don't get caught up in pride or despair because I know that you know, God has been with me and God is going to take me forward. So always I can be pleased at what God is doing and be happy that God is going to keep working on me. C.S. Lewis says this, what can we ever really know of other people's souls, of their temptations, their opportunities, their struggles? One soul in the whole creation you do know, and it is the one whose fate is placed in your hands. If there is a God, you are, in a sense, alone with him. So as we are alone with God, we compare ourselves to ourselves and we say, God, thank you for where you have taken me. And thank you that you are going to take me forward. Uh, Before we move on, there's one other question which may be in your mind where Paul says, uh, he says this in verse 5, he said, each one should carry their own load. And we say, well, if we've just been told to carry others' burdens and also that we should carry our own load, how should that work? Well, in the Greek, there are two different words and um, there's burdens, which is just, you know, hard things for carry, which you can share, but there's the load, which is like your pack, you to carry. And when you are alone with God, there are some things which are yours and yours alone to carry, your responsibility. That is the responsibility of your sin, the responsibility of your calling that you are the one who has to bring your sin to God and say, forgive me and help me. And other people can help you, but you carry it yourself. It's your responsibility. And there's God's calling on your life. God says, do this, go there, live like this, love like this. That God has given to you and you alone. It's your responsibility to carry it. And so you don't compare yourself to others because you don't know what load they are meant to carry. You only know yours. And so you carry it faithfully. And all this stuff, the way that we look after others and we look out for ourselves, we do it all so that we can love like Christ. See, if all this is just, you know, do this, carry this burden, help this person, be like this, don't look at this stuff like this, it's all just a bunch of things that you've got to do, unless, of course, there is something greater behind it. And Paul tells us what that is in verse 2. He says, uh, in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. Now, if you've been paying attention uh, in this series, you know that the Galatians have been struggling with the law. They've been struggling with the law of Moses, where they've been told that you've got to get this done, you've got to tick this box, you've got to you know, have, um, have the right kind of lifestyle so that you can be accepted by God. And they've been struggling with the law because the law of Moses is all these things that you have to do to live up to the perfection of God. But if you try and do that, you're never going to reach it, and so you are going to be condemned. And the law of Moses, we've seen, was only there to push people to something else. Say, if I can't meet God's standards by this law, then push me to something else, and we get sent to Jesus, who saves us with his mercy. 
And so then we get caught up in the law of Jesus. The law of Jesus, which says that, you know, we are told to love God with everything we have and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we do it because we have a God who has loved us with everything that he has. So that we are empowered to love others. So we aren't just about ticking boxes so that God will love us, but we're saying all the boxes are ticked. Everything is done. I have been loved, and so now I can go and love. I have a God who has carried my burden so I can carry others. I have a God who has found me caught in sin and has drawn me out so I can help others who are caught in sin and help, help them get out as well. I have a God who has seen me at, the, at my very, very worst and he has still loved me and saved me. So I do not need to compare myself to, myself to others because I have a God who loves me uh, even without anyone else around, who loves me as I am at my worst. And so I can see that I'm still loved, I'm still okay, and I can move forward. It's all about fulfilling the law of Christ. We look after others and we look out for ourselves so that we can be people who love like Jesus. If you're someone who isn't a Christian, then what all this means for you is that you can try and get all this stuff done. All this stuff in the passage might seem like good advice. And if you do it, things will go well for you, but you are missing out on the best thing, and that is Jesus Christ the one who saves you from having to tick all the boxes and live up to God's standards because he lived up to God's standards for you. And so before you try and get all the other stuff done, first go to Jesus who has done everything for you, who died for you and rose again so that you might be saved. Put your trust in him. Put your trust in the one who looked out for you and looked after you so that you may be saved by him and then you can start living the way that he calls you to. And if you are someone who is a Christian, then the challenge for you in this is to look at Jesus. Say, how has he loved me? And how might I take that and go and love others? How might I look after others, look out for myself, so that I might love like Christ because Christ has loved me? How about I pray for us? Father God, we thank you that you have sent your son, Jesus, that we have seen in him one who has loved us, one who has cared for us, one who has carried us, one who has saved us. I pray that by his strength and by his example that we will be willing to love others, to look after others. Because of his love that we will not compare ourselves to anyone else, that we will not overestimate our ability to resist sin, that we would fall on him to know who we truly are and to know how to truly live. Lord God, help us to be a people who look after others, who watch out for ourselves to fulfill the love of Christ. Amen.